This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer at Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and Chief Quality Officer for the Baptist System. And hi, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Well, today I'm so excited. I have a very dear friend joining us today, Dave Gutcher. And Dave's going to talk about his many, many years that he worked at uh, Toyota. And he's going to talk about specifically the eight-step problem-solving approach, which is part of the Baptist management system. Uh, We've been working with Dave for quite some time. And so, Dave, as we jump into this conversation, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would. Okay, Skip. Yeah, I've, uh, as Skip said, the mainstay of my career was in uh, Toyota. Uh, I spent a little over 25 and a half years formally working for Toyota in in both Canada and the United States. And in that career, spent time in several different divisions uh, across both the, what I call the production areas, engineering and administration, and at different levels. Um, I've also worked in, in agriculture, fresh food, and I actually wrapped up my formal career uh, before getting into some little bit of consulting work in in the finance industry, and and had the opportunity to, as I tell people, make lots of mistakes to enhance my learning through through about forty years of work in in the different areas. I guess the key in eight step, uh, I was a certified eight step instructor uh, with Toyota. Uh, I had the pleasure of spending a lot of time in Japan and learning some some of their their top with Toyota production system uh, teachers over there. And uh, I found it very interesting to apply this work both inside and outside of Toyota with a lot of success. Dave, once again, thank you very much for being here. And just to just to start off by saying is I'm a I'm a big believer in in eight step problem solving. And, you know, I like to you know, I think it, it get, I think it's attributed to Einstein. He said, you know, a problem well defined is a problem half solved. And, you know, this eight step process is a way for you to to really a method to, to approach a problem. And, and we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of the of the eight step problem solving. But but, you know, I know this is a, this can seem pretty trivial, but you know, what is a problem? And I think that's, and I know that we have problems and there are different types of problems. Talk to us a little bit about that. And, you know, is is eight-step problem solving applicable to to all problems? Yeah, I would tell people, yes, eight-step is applicable to all problems. Um, And as you said, there's different types. So, you know, in a lot of cases, we've got problems that we have to act on very quickly, but we actually don't get to the real cause. We, we put some kind of temporary measure in place to, to deal with it due to urgency or criticalness of, of the issue. But unfortunately, in, in a lot of organizations and in most organizations, everybody's busy. So the ability to come back and actually get to the cause often doesn't happen because uh, we have other priorities come up. But probably the most typical problem is where we have a standard that we're not achieving. And we're trying to close the gap between what we actually are are experiencing and what our standard is. 
um, that's the most common type of, of problem. But there's other types of problems too. There's problems where you actually raise the standard. So you 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 take an existing standard that you're you've been showing competency to perform and you try to improve the organization. So you you move the bar, you raise the bar. So you actually intentionally create another gap to, to increase the performance. And then the last type that we typically look at is, is almost what I put in the bucket of innovation. It's, it's using the methodology to look forward. And probably one of the biggest, best experiences I had in my whole career is when I was challenged to look five or 10 years forward with this methodology and define a problem that no one knew existed yet and build hypotheses so strong that we were able to identify problems and causes before the problem actually impacted our business. Yeah, I think that's very helpful framework. Um, and you know, one of the things you said was maybe using it for um, a situation where there's a standard that you're not meeting. So in my mind, this sounds like a, a framework for big problems. Would you use this, would you characterize it that way? Or, or would you say you can use this for even something small that's um, you know, maybe irritating you or your group, but doesn't necessarily rise to the attention of the entire system? You can use it for any type of problem. Um, usually when we take people through the formal training and walk them through their first problem, um, I always compared it to teaching people when they were, you were kids, long division. So we had to write it all out. We'd intentionally go through every step. We'd verify every calculation. We'd write down and visualize our answers so that everybody could understand them and we could see them. So, you know, and honestly, even when you get good at using the thinking on a, on a complex problem, you have to do that. But just like division, over time, we were able to do use short division, <clears throat> right? So it was quicker. And then we got good at simple division and we do it in our head, right? So we didn't need to help, but we were using the same methodology and same thinking that we were taught in long division. The same applies for eight step. For those simple little problems, it's about applying the same thinking, but you're doing it real quick in your head. You're not writing it all down. You're not calling meetings to put it together, but you're, you're using that same thinking to, to address a small, simple problem. When when it when it comes to solving problems, what 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 are some of the errors that we tend to make, and some of the pitfalls that we that we have that the eight-step problem-solving method helps mitigate or helps take care of or, or avoid, I should say. Well, there's there's obviously several, but probably the most common ones is we make assumptions. Right. Instead of going and getting the facts, we make assumptions and we take action based on those assumptions without confirming. Right? The, sec the second one is we jump to conclusions and, and when it's different than assumptions. I mean, we jump to putting actions in place without ever actually identifying the cause. So in, in a lot of cases, we create a lot of disruption in the process or in, in the workplace, and we, don't, we haven't even determined what the cause of the situation was. So, so those are probably the two, the two biggest 
things that I see. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 making errors of working on the wrong things. And it's kind of like the analogy of, you know, that airplane that takes off from the East Coast, even, you know, they may be just a quarter of a degree off course, which it doesn't seem like it's that much. But by the time they get to California, they may right. be up in Washington State. Who who knows, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So we should one more question before we dive into the actual eight steps. Um you know, how does this differ from other tools that are out there for you know, problem solving, you know, things that come to mind, like recalls analysis, the five whys, um, you know, just A3 thinking in general? Um, you know, how does this, is it, is it complement those things? Does it replace those things? Um, how does it fit? Yeah, it definitely complements them. In fact, they're mostly integrated uh, into the eight step. Um you know, a story I tell a lot is when I started at Toyota back in the mid to late 80s, there was no eight-step problem solving. That was a document. There was nothing written down. There was no training course. We did have something called 5Y and root cause and those types of things. But even as Toyota globalized and had to had to teach other countries and other nationalities their thinking, they had to document it. And when they documented it, they realized that they followed these eight steps. And eight step came out of that, documenting that thinking that they were using all along to, to teach other people. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it co- definitely complements it. In fact, probably the best thing, and, and for I know you, you folks at Baptist, you use PDSA, right? Eight step is PDSA. It, it's exactly PDSA. And back to Dr. Mason's question, the third thing is people don't, the first five steps are all in the P. Mm. So one of the, the third mistake people do is they jump to the D, they jump to the doing without going through the first five steps, which are all P. I am very guilty of that. I'm I'm very guilty of that. But as we as we move into the, you know, the actual eight steps, you know, step number one, which is in the P, you know, the P of PDSA is clarify the problem. Talk talk to us about clarifying the problem. And is is this really the most important or are they are are there any that are weighted more or. So so I, I don't it's a progression. It's a progressive thinking. Each step and each step, the second step starts where the first one stopped. The third step starts from where the second one stopped. It's all progressive in sequence. Um, And in the first step, there's really a couple things you're trying to do. The first thing is purpose. And people struggle with this. Uh, Purpose is sort of, it's not the mission statement. You know, that might be on the wall of some place if you ever did uh, planning, mission planning, those types of things. It's not that, but it really forces you to think about what's the purpose of this particular process? Um, and why does it exist? So a lot we, it makes us think about our stakeholders. Who are the stakeholders involved in this? So that helps us understand if we're going to solve the problem, who needs to be engaged in this, Right. If we if we first think about who are the stakeholders, the second thing is just understanding what is the standard, and in other words, what should be 
what should be or what should be happening, right? Then we move on to saying, okay, what is happening? And going there, and that's our actual, that's our current condition. What is happening is what is, what is our actual condition right now? And it forces you to go to the place where the th action is happening. Because uh, it's not reading a document. The document might help you go figure out where to go to see, but you go and see what's actually happening. And then you find that what's the gap between them. So at the end of the day, we're answering what's the purpose of the work, what should be happening, what's actually happening, and what's the gap between those two things mm. in a measurable format. You won't see any it's good or it's bad. Right. In it, it's a, it's a it's a metric. It forces you to put it into a measurable factor, which is, again, can be a big challenge in some cases. And so what do you see is the biggest mistake that people make in clarifying the problem? Um, they don't know how to define the standard because there really isn't one. So they they use a lot of statements. Well, what should be happening? Well, this should be happening. Well, can you show me that standard? Nobody can show it to you. Does anybody know that? Well, they should know it. So again, there's a lot of assumptions, I guess, being made versus the fact, the having the actual fact of what is the standard. And then this, the second thing is they read the report for where we actually are. The report might give them a number. It might even give them a location, but that's about it. It doesn't tell them what's actually happening. And, yeah, and, and that, that, as you said, that involves going to where the work's, <coughs> the work's actually being done. Okay, so so now let's let's say we we've clarified the problem. We um, and we know its purpose. We know the standard. We know the gap. Um, Tell us about, about the second step, breaking it down. Well, the second step is probably one of the most critical steps in it, is it, breaking the problem down. The purpose of breaking the problem down is to find a specific problem. Usually in that first step, we identify what we call a large, vague problem, right? Uh, in my world in manufacturing, if we want to productivity at 97% operation rate, and we were at 90, the gap was 7%. But there was an awful lot of things that influence the actual productivity rate. In the second step, we're breaking those down into smaller, smaller bite-sized pieces to get to a very specific problem. So, and there's four basic questions for that. It's basically, we ask what, where, when and who and we ask them one at a time and it forces us to think from different dimensions about the problem so and we get to you get to define what those really mean what is the what for your situation what is where for your situation what is who right and we ask those to help us narrow so every time we ask a question we're looking for something to jump out at us we want to take the biggest piece. And if something's like 46 and 47, yeah, 47 is higher than 46. 
I would tell you that's not very significant. That's not unique enough. We need to ask a different question first. So it's forcing us to look at the, the large vague gap that we identified in number one from a whole bunch of different angles so that we truly understand it. And then through the process narrows us down to one specific, what we'll call a prioritized problem. There's a bunch of problems, but we're going to prioritize a problem within that. We talk about, um, you know, you talk about breaking it down to find that one, you know, we talk about low hanging fruit. Is it finding that low hanging fruit or is it finding the one that you think is contributing the most or the one that's going to be the easiest to solve? Or Generally, we're trying to find the one that's contributing the most. So, we're trying to find the thing that will have the most impact. Um, but at the same time, that's not the only factor. Again, sometimes criticality of something could play a factor versus the largest piece. So you sort of have to take into account what. But you're not going for the easy thing. You're not looking necessarily for low-hanging fruit. You're looking to quantifiably find a, pro a very and define a very specific problem. What if maybe a you know, your first attempt, you're not able to find the area that's contributing the most. How do you, do you try to tackle everything or do you keep asking additional questions to, to try to find, uh, I guess, a, a bigger contributor? Usually what we do is we ask a different question. So if we asked who first and nothing really jumped out at us, yeah, we've got answers for it, but it didn't really jump out. We'll probably set that aside and go back and back and maybe ask the what or the where first until we find something that jumps out. Because when we ask the second question, we're only applying it to the piece that jumped out with the first question because we're narrowing, okay? We're narrowing down to a very specific one. When we answer the second question, we're only gonna apply the third question to the answer to the second question and so on. And, and so- and and so it, you let, let's say you get it narrowed down and and just using an example let's say you you're breaking a problem down and let's say there may be four let's call them processes four processes or four things that are contributing to that problem or that in that involved in in whatever you're looking at and you just and you per, you you decide which one that you're going to work on or yep. try to improve. The next step is setting that target condition. Now, the one thing I, I've always been a little confused about, are you setting a target condition for that process as a sort of a leading indicator? Does that does that make sense? Or are you setting an overall process, so, uh, overall, overall target, overall? So target? there's actually one more step in step two. After you've narrowed down to a prioritized problem, as you said, there might be four problems after that last question but you're going to pick the one that stands out the most. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you're going to define the process that's around that particular problem. And you're going to go view, visit the process. So now we have a prioritized problem. Then we want to find out where in the process is the problem occurring. So at the end of step two, we have a prioritized problem at what we call a point of occurrence. Okay. Okay. So then we're going to set the target based on that specific point of occurrence and that specific problem. We never go back to the big, large problem because we know this is a piece of it, right? 
So once we solve this problem, at the end of it, one of our steps is to go back and check that it contributed back to all the way to that large vague problem. But we never step back. Okay, we're always again starting the next step with where we end it. Mm -hmm. So we're, we start step three of setting a target at that prioritized problem at point of occurrence because that's where we end at step two. Okay, so we've you know clarified the problem, we've broken down the problem, and then we define the process, which I, I might have to say this is a nine-step uh, 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 problem-solving activity, but uh, you know I'm not going to quibble with you. But okay, the, then we have the process uh, that we think is contributing to the major um, area that's contributing the, the majority of the problem. Then what? We set the target. We set a target to find out. So when we go to that prioritized problem at point of occurrence, we're going to say, how many times is this happening at this specific location? Location meaning not geographic location, but location within the process. Mm -hmm. What step of the process? How many times is it happening? So we're going to have a fact. And we're let's just say at this time, we're going to say it happens six out of 10 times. Well, now we don't want it to happen at all. If we solve the problem, we want it to happen zero. Now, again, we're not shooting. It's not utopia. So we don't naturally just take zero. But we look in step three to say, what's the logic for setting our target? It's not picking a number out of the sky. It's not looking to the senior person in the room to say, what do they want us to do? It's prioritizing. In step three, there's two things. How much by when? So the how much is how much of that six out of 10 do we want to close? And by when has to have logic as well. Right? So, so let's just say there's a there's a 10% accuracy rate within our our deviation rate within our ants within our facts. So we might say because of that we're going to target nine out of ten, right? And we, when are we going to have that? Oh, well we have something changing in this process in two months. So if we're going to do it, we have to have it before the change in the process takes place, so we don't have to start over. So that would be an example. We're going to target 90 that we're going to have down to it no more than one out of 10 times within the next two months. So let, me, so let me make sure I understand. So maybe we have to go back to step two with the, defining the, the process. What exactly are you looking for in that process that is going to inform step three? Um, for instance, you know, if, if one of the things we're trying to do is reduce length of stay at our hospitals, you know, is it you're looking for the number of, of patients that are admitted that have a length of stay that exceeds what's expected? And that's the the broken process piece. Help me understand. Yeah. So then at the length. So then, for example, if we were broke it down and and this is actually some of the things we found is that, you know, our biggest gap was on people going home. One of our assumptions when we started was, well, it was it was the, the insurance carriers that were causing us problems, or it was the extended care facilities that were causing, which they were, those those are true, they're not, they were problems, but the biggest problem was actually people going home. 
So we broke down that audience. And then we said, what's the process for this patient? The patient that comes in, gets admitted, and gets checked out going home. And where's the breakdown in this process? And then on to step three, you looked at that process and you said, you know, maybe 90% of the time we want to have a clean process that doesn't break down. Is that the target that you're setting? Yeah, again, we'd have to go to that defined step where we found it, what was breaking down, and we'd quantify that. And we'd, we would set the target against that quantified number. Okay. So, right? you know, so we wouldn't be setting an ODE target, for example. That might be the large, vague problem up in step one. But I, I'm going to pick on us doctors right now. So, so you could say something like, okay, the patients going, the ones who are going home, that's where we're focusing. And it looks like, you know, the doctors aren't rounding early enough. Let's just say something like that. And so the doc, if, you know, the doctor should be rounding by nine o'clock and seeing these patients, and that's only happening 50% of the time. Right. And, and then you could say, well, we'd like them to be rounding by nine o'clock at 90% of the time. So that's that's your new target. Is that right? That's sort of what we're saying. So if, for example, that we're we had only 50% of the time we had a diagnosis or a, a judgment on the patient mm -hmm. to be able to send them home that day in time, and the rest 50% of the time the judgment was made too late. Mm -hmm then we would say, okay, we want to change that, that we have it 90% of the time or 80% of the time. We want to make sure we have judgment on the patients soon enough that we could discharge them that day. And, and then, you know, moving on, you know, you've moving on to step four, then that's where you do your root cause analysis for that actual process or, or that problem. Okay. What, why, why, What's the barrier? What's the obstacle? That's right. That's where we, if you noticed in step two, we didn't ask why. We asked four W's, but we never touched why. Because now we're going to ask why against that prioritized problem at point of occurrence. So we're going to say, as you said, Dr. Mason, if the issue, the point of occurrence is when the doctor made their judgment, whether they could be discharged or not, was in time to discharge that day, we're going to say, why aren't we able to make that judgment in time? That's where we're going to start. That's our first mm -hmm. why. And then we're going to keep asking why to get to down to a root cause. What's really getting in the way? This all complements back. We want a very specific problem in step two because we want to define a very specific cause. Because step five is going to be putting a countermeasure in place if we have a very specific cause, now we can define a very specific countermeasure. I like to say, and maybe it's a bad analogy, but it's like using a rifle versus a shotgun. A shotgun, you're going to put a whole lot of wall, holes in the wall and you hope you hit something. Rifle, you need to hit the target. You either hit or you miss. So this, we want to, that's what it's like, is we want to get to the point that we can have a very specific countermeasure so we eliminate or remove the cause. Okay, so we've gone through the first four steps. Uh, we've identified what we think is the, the root cause. And step five is develop countermeasures. 
just to start out, what's a countermeasure? It's an action that will remove the cause effect. So in step four, before we leave step four, we do a test to see if we can join the cause effect relationship. So we, we go down our chain of whys and then we go backwards and we say, this is why, therefore, and we work our way back up the chain and we do a therefore test all the way back up to the top to make sure our logic is sound. That's sort of the scientific check the, the cause effect relationship at each one of those. So in simple terms, a countermeasure is taking an action that eliminates the cause. So that we, if we eliminate the cause, we eliminate the, the effect. Gotcha, okay. So we get, then we, we, we develop our countermeasure. We see the countermeasure through. And then, then you know, you you monitor the results. And then, now, is this, you know, like you said, it's a lot like PDSA. Is it? I mean, with within these steps, are they? Could they be cyclical between five and six, and then you go back to five, or do you? So sometimes you do a little bit, but typically no. Um, again, you're moving from one to the next. The whole process is definitely cyclical. PDSA. So we want to see, because if we change more than one thing at a time, we don't know what created the outcome. So we want to very carefully implement the countermeasure and we know exactly what we're measuring because we set a target in step three. Did we make that change? Right? Did that specific measurement move in the direction we wanted it to move and the amount we wanted it to move? And then if it did, that's fine. If not, we may have to rethink another countermeasure, right? We don't always have the right countermeasure our first attempt through. So typically what we do in step five, it's more than thinking about a countermeasure. We want to brainstorm as many countermeasures mm -hmm. as we can think about. And then we actually want to put them against some evaluation criteria to say which is the right one to choose. Again, it's not about looking through the room to see what the senior person says, or, you know, we want to put things in the criteria like cost. So we shouldn't have to work. It's considered as, can we afford to do this? Right. How long does it take? You know, you know, who can do it? Can the people in the area do it themselves? You know, those types of things we want, uh, what other risks are there? Those are things we want to take a look at when we think about what's to pick the right countermeasure and choose it. So even if we pick a countermeasure that has some risks, we've already identified them. So now we should be prepared to to understand those risks and manage those risks versus just getting surprised. So it, it's not just, hey, I think this would be a good thing. Let's try it. It's really about brainstorming and then using actual criteria to determine the best one before okay. implementation. Okay, let's let's say you 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 implemented a countermeasure and then maybe you had to do another count, whatever, but, but let's, let, let's say you get, you, you hit your goal and your target, but, and let's say it did decrease the gap, your overall gap that you're trying to close, but it didn't close it all the way. And That's is right. that, is that when you go back to the breakdown and you say, okay, what is the next, 
you know, we solved this process. What is the next biggest process that we can tackle? Is that how it works? Yes, but we got one more step to do called step eight. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. So step eight is standardize. Okay. It's standard. So in step eight, it's actually a lot more than that. Actually making that countermeasure part of the standard is definitely critical for that particular process. But for any organization, the bigger gain is taking the learning and moving that countermeasure across all like conditions. Mm. So an organization like the Baptist Medical Group or Baptist Medical System, you know, if you learn something at one location, if you take that same countermeasure and implement it across all locations, you get a much more, a much bigger effect. Sure. And you don't walk through the eight steps in long division form at each site. Now, again, you may have to have some uniquenesses when you get to the details, but you take all that learning and share that learning or transfer it to as many applicable processes or locations that you can. That's where you really get exponential impact from your result when you're able to do that. Then once you do that, Dr. Mason, yes, you go back to the P. But I say this all the time. In a perfect world, we'd go back and grab the next piece. But you guys know very well in business, there's always new priorities. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that next piece isn't going to be the next priority. Sometimes it will. So sometimes you'll go back to that big, same big, large, vague gap and take the next piece. Sometimes you're going to grab the next priority and go after it next, even though it's a different large, vague gap. So, but the thinking, absolutely. The thinking, you're going to go back to the P. And, and, you know, I I know that um, you've been here with working with Baptist for I guess going almost going on two years and I mean this this eight step process has proven to work we've used it in recruiting and retention we've used it in length of stay at certain hospitals uh, so you know I think this is a very invaluable tool to uh, that that you can we can apply it to clinical problems non clinical problems. You know, it's it's universal, it seems like. I guess that, that would be a good term to say it's universal. Yeah. Any problem, any level in the organization. Well, unfortunately, I know we're coming to an end. And, and Dave, as you know, if, uh, if you gave me the opportunity, I could spend hours with you, Dave, talking. And, and I have. And I'm sure I wear you out when, when you're in town. But, you know, one of the things I'll kind of uh, leave us with before we... Uh, close it out is most people know within Baptist we're very involved with the improvement kata coaching kata. What was so interesting when we started our eight-step journey is we started with many executives and senior leaders. And uh, when we would uh, get off the uh, video conference with Dave, they would all look at me and they would say, this sure does feel like kata. And I would have to explain, you know, if you were to go inside the Toyota facility, that they are not familiar with the language of improvement kata, coaching kata. What you're hearing from Dave is a mental pattern. 
you know, uh, and you're hearing that p- plan, do, study, adjust mental pattern over and over. And uh, I cannot tell you the number of people all throughout Baptist, even, you know, like, like you said, Dr. Mason, we've had tremendous success with things like upfront collections, things like length of stay, things like recruitment and retention, that they just really talk about how the eight step has helped them in the world that they live in. Maybe they can't connect every single day, but they can connect once or twice a week. It's helped them really reincorporate, re-embrace this you know, scientific iterative process that we call plan, do, study, adjust. So on that note, Dave, my friend, until you're in town next and I get to wear you out uh, and talk for much longer than the podcast allows us to, I'm so appreciative of you. Thank you so much for coming on uh, the uh, Connecting the Dots podcast. And I, I personally look forward to continuing to learn from you, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Dave.